0: If so, what do we do with all that? It's going to be an exciting episode. You guys stay tuned. We're watching The Remnant Radio, a crowdfunded show where we interview pastors, teachers, historians, and theologians from different churches and denominations. My name is Joshua Lewis, and this is my co-host, Michael Roundtree. Together, we want to help you break outside of your theological echo chambers. If you're interested in learning about history, theology, or the gifts of the Spirit, this is the show for you. Hey, everybody. Welcome to today's program. You might notice it's taped. Why, why is this episode taped? Well, Michael Miller is driving, driving, flying to somewhere in South America. I'll let him tell you a little bit about that. And Wednesday, I've got a truck where I'm packing up all of our stuff. You probably won't be able to tell because the new set will look identical to this set in every way. Um, but uh, yeah, it's going to be exciting. I'm moving to Oklahoma, into Ada uh gonna plant a church there so really excited about that i'll give you guys more information about that in the future uh but hey you're watching remnant radio so if you know anything about us we're crowdfunded and if you want to support there are links in the description You can give a one-time gift there on paypal or recurring gift on patreon so it's five bucks a month you get access to extra content so we encourage you to go do that uh lastly last announcement uh the healing conference that we have uh, in March is coming up very soon. Uh, if you want to go to that conference, you should register as soon as possible uh, because we have tons of people registering every single week. It's not full yet, but it will be shortly. So make sure to get your ticket to that. Now, here are the fellas. Michael Miller, tell me where you're going, man, in South America. You're going somewhere in South America with kinfish right? Uh, Central America.
1: Yeah, we're going to Costa Rica. So I, I was originally supposed to go with um, some of the elders from my oversight church, but uh, I mean random tragedy just struck and so one of them had to bail um last minute so i'm yeah i'm going with ken again it's going to be hopefully fun i mean as most of you know uh ken seems to see a lot of healings that i don't see and deliverances um and i i don't know if it's just a gift that ken carries or he just knows what he's looking for but either way it's it's always a learning experience with him so
0: i'm excited to hear all the cool testimonies roundtree how you doing over there in oklahoma
2: Man, I am doing good, man. It's holiday holiday season, a little crazy, but all's good. Always excited to do a little remnant radio episode. And uh, man, this week's pretty interesting. Does God cause sickness? It's kind of a big conversation. Uh, it's kind of the opposite of what Jesus appears to do throughout his ministry, and that's part of what makes it complicated. So I'm yeah. uh, ex- excited to kind of unpack those things so yeah man doing good over here
0: yeah and i think we should probably uh encourage people to go check out uh a couple weeks ago or last week we did a video on is it god's will to heal or the two wills of god in healing we've done other videos in the past talking about the gift of healing you, you should really check out that playlist it's got over 15 videos in it uh we're charismatic we believe in the gift of healing uh we actually believe and, and you have to go watch the video we believe it is god's will to heal right like that's that's something that we believe but in in the midst of that we live in a day where nuance is just not permissible right you, you've got people who are like god uh you know sovereignly gives all sicknesses god sovereignly gives all healing or it's never god's will to heal or it's always god's will to heal we live in these worlds of binaries and we don't typically live with nuance and and we're coming to the text of Scripture as charismatic, saying, we believe it's God's will to heal, we believe God heals, but then we also say, like, God uses sickness. We we see God pouring out judgment. We see God giving illness from birth. What do we do with that? And we want to engage with some of that in uh, our text today. Uh, m- yeah.
2: In fact, even right? when you say, like, we believe it's God's will to heal, you'll have to hear our nuance, That's right. because we wouldn't We wouldn't state that as a naked statement without like an asterisk, without a footnote, without any sort of qualifier. And uh, you're just going to have to go back and watch our episode on the two wills of God. And is that a thing? And can it apply to healing? We believe that it does. So uh, for us, it just kind of depends on what you mean when you say, is it God's will to heal? We can answer yes to that question. Is it God's will to heal? Depending on what you mean by that. So um, anyway, so yeah, we already need a little nuance on this. Uh, but maybe guys, we could start by talking a little bit about God's judgments because here's the rub. And I, and I already touched on this. You have Jesus. There's never an occasion in the gospels where Jesus, in fact, maybe we could do it like this. I'm going to, I'm going to make the case that one would make if they were trying to say it's like God heals. He doesn't cause sickness. Like sickness is the devil. Right. Okay. Okay. Mm-hmm. I'll make a case as though we're going to do that. And then you guys kind of push back with some verses, maybe go Old Testament on me a little bit, go, uh, actually we go a little bit New Testament too, but God's judgment. So it we'll, was, so we'll kind of unpack it like that. Okay. So uh, I'm going to put myself in the position of the person arguing in favor that and they're going to say, listen, name one instance in the scriptures where somebody came to Jesus, asked for healing and didn't get it. Name one instance in the scriptures where Jesus didn't treat sickness like an enemy every time somebody comes to Jesus, they get healed, and there are a number of occasions where it even says that he healed them all and and if you want to say, well, that was just Jesus, it even says that are the apostles in Acts chapter five, you know Peter's shadow passing by somebody, mm-hmm. he healed them all, and while we do have cases of the apostles and others where they don't heal every single person. It seems to be this consistent theme where the gospel manifests in power God heals them. And then especially as we talked about in this other episode, if you're going to to put healing in this in a similar category to deliverance from demonic power, I don't think anybody wants to say, well, you know, it's God's will for people just keep their demons. Yeah, just keep your demon. That's cool. No, Jesus casts demons out, and he seems to put deliverance and healing in a similar category. So can't we just say, like, man, it's always God's will to heal, and and, and if there is sickness or if there is a demon, that's a work of the devil. That's not a work of God. We, we see so often Jesus healed them all. We see the apostles healed them all. Sickness is always an enemy. It's never a friend. What do you guys say to somebody who talks to you like that?
0: Mel, you take the first stab.
2: Uh, oh, gosh.
1: Well, I mean, I don't know if that's entirely true. One, that's there's a lot of things in Scripture. Well, I'm sorry. Let me rephrase this. There's a lot not written in the Scriptures, like the fact that, uh, you know, he went to that pool and healed one person, but there's a lot of people that, didn't get healed that never i mean on some level and even then jesus asked the man what do you want me to do for you or what can i do for you what are you waiting on i don't remember if i'm getting this right anyway um but then you've got a number of examples of god himself doing it and to say that um well one we don't want to come into a position where we pit jesus against the father and this is exactly where marcion fell in his um Mm-hmm. his polemic is he decided to throw out the old Testament because it didn't look like Jesus and he was willing to accept Jesus. He wasn't willing to accept God as if those two things were mutually exclusive. And so there's that, but then there's also the fact that you do see God judging people in the new Testament and Jesus even saying the words, I'm going to throw her on a sickbed. So, I mean, there's a number of things that I would go through, but I would start just going one by one throughout the scriptures and saying, well, what do you do with this? What do you do with this? What do you do with this? Which is what I think we should do today.
0: Yeah, and I think that there are different instances where God uses sickness. We're going to use New Testament passages. Uh, Paul was blinded by God in Acts, right? Is it Acts 9? He gets blinded by God. Uh, later on, I think it's Acts 13, um, uh, Bar-Jesus, the false prophet, comes and mm-hmm. and Paul, Saul, blinds him, uh, declares blindness over him as an act of God, that God was going to do this work. Ananias and Sapphira dropped dead, um, and the causal effect on the church was that the fear of God was in the heart of God's people, and the church grew. Like even even this effect of judgment caused God to be glorified; like it had a positive effect. So God blinds someone in order that they could see. God kills someone in order to instill holy fear and righteousness in His people. Um, So it's not as to say that God can't use sickness or doesn't use sickness, doesn't use these things in judgment. In fact, we would probably say that um, the consistency between Old Testament and New Testament, whether it be a corporate effect or on an individual effect, I remember uh, one of the New Testament passages I have in the notes is in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 11, where some have gotten sick and even have fallen asleep or some translations will just say died. Because they're taking the table, taking communion in an unworthy fashion. And this is, if you will, an example of someone, depending on how literal you want to get into it, coming to Jesus, right? This is true Mm -hmm. koinonia fellowship with the body and the blood. They're coming to Jesus and the effect of coming to him in an unworthy fashion causes sickness and death. Um, Now, if you want to make that just a symbol, that's fine, but nobody dies from a symbol. So, uh, I would say that there's something probably more happening there.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Well, I, I like that you guys are giving both old Testament and new Testament examples, because like you said, Miller, people try to pit the new Testament God against the old Testament God. Like the new Testament God is Mr. Nice guy. And old Testament God was kind of mean. And and we sort of graduated in our view of God kind of deal. And, and while we would admit there is such a thing as progressive revelation. In Jesus, we have a clearer picture of the nature of God than we ever had before. God did not update the script by contradicting what he revealed beforehand. Progressive revelation gives us a clearer picture, but it doesn't contradict the picture that we had before. And the God of Judgment that we saw in the Old Testament is consistent with the God of Judgment that we see in the New Testament. Now, mercy triumphs over judgment James chapter two that is god 's heart is to show mercy and grace that 's why Jesus came into the world but it 's nevertheless true that old testament New Testament Jesus Christ is the same yesterday today, and forever God does not change and so I like that you guys uh quoted a variety of scriptures there, and I just want to read uh, a handful of scriptures just to show that Like this isn't a one-off deal. There are times when God causes sickness. There are times when God causes death. And uh, while that sounds abrasive, uh, we just need to wrestle with what the text says, not with what we think about it. Okay. Uh, now, I'm not suggesting we shouldn't have like critical thinking skills and and wrestle with with difficulties. We most certainly should, but we tend to make value judgments about God and and place ourselves as judge over His Word rather than letting his word judge us. But here are some scriptures. Genesis 12, 17, the Lord afflicted Pharaoh and his house with great plagues because of Sarai, Abram's wife. Exodus 12, 29 to 30, at midnight, the Lord struck down all the firstborn in the land of Egypt. Genesis 20, 18, the Lord closed all the wounds in the house of Abimelech. We're, we're barely even getting started. Okay, we're at Genesis and Exodus, all right. First Samuel 5, the hand of the Lord was heavy against the people of Ashdod, and he terrified and afflicted them with tumors. Numbers 12, 10, we start to get some more uh, individual punishments uh, and disciplines. Miriam's leprosy, uh, when the cloud removed from over the tent, behold, Miriam was leprous like snow, okay? And of course, by the end of the story, she's healed. Uh, 2 Samuel 12, 14 to 15, God kills David's son, Uh, the son of an adulterous relationship. 1 Kings 13, 4, Jeroboam's withered hand. 2 Kings 5, 26 to 27, Gehazi gets leprosy on account of his greed. Uh, 2 Chronicles 26, 19, uh, the Lord breaks out against Uzziah and is angry at him and gives him leprosy. Uh, You already talked about some of these New Testament examples with Paul's blindness, the false prophet Bar-Jesus, also called Elemas. Uh, and then First Corinthians eleven twenty nine, 29, saints getting sick and dying because of taking the Lord's Supper in an unworthy manner. And Miller, you mentioned the one in Revelation where Jesus is the one casting people on a sickbed. So guys, there's really no way to deny, I don't think, that God does cause sickness and death at times as a form of judgment. And uh, And if this is difficult for us to accept. Just maybe this analogy will help a little bit. If, if Josh has like a, a piece of pottery, okay, and let's say that it's a very, very expensive pot, piece of pottery that he bought at a uh, great sacrifice to himself. It's, I don't know. He just loves this piece of pottery for whatever reason. Super expensive. And I go to his house and I take it and I smash it on the ground. Now, if I do that, and you observe it, you're going to be like, Michael, what are you doing? And, and Josh is going to be like, what are you doing in my pot? But now let's let's look at it like this. Let's imagine.
0: I like how high pitched my voice was in this illustration. <laughs> oh, my pot. Oh. <laughs> keep, keep going. <laughs> yeah.
2: Let, let's imagine that if instead of me doing it, Josh does it. Now, you might be like, Josh, that's a little weird. I don't know why you would do that. But the sense of injustice wouldn't be there because... Josh can do what Josh wants with Josh's possessions. We all belong to God. God is the author of life and he can withdraw that life at any time. And where this actually goes much further than the pot analogy, the pot isn't actually sinning against Josh when he does it. Okay. We do sin against Josh. Uh, against the Lord we do things worthy of death so when the author of life withdraws life or any blessing for that matter that's his prerogative because he owns us number one and number two because we sin against him and deserve it anyway so so we can be uncomfortable with it all day long but it doesn't change the reality that God is God and you are not and you can't pronounce judgment on God Am I missing you, something here guys?
0: Are you you're suggesting that the moral vantage of fallen humanity is twisted in such a way um, that that there are passages of scripture that make us uncomfortable because it looks like God is unjust. But but you're 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 suggesting that that has to do more with our warped morality than it has to do with God's integrity that God determines what is moral and what is just and what is good and that his vantage is so different than ours that he can very well be doing something that's very moral and very just. But because we are, we are holding him to human standards that we are imposing our morality onto him. Did I hear you right in all of that? Yeah,
2: Yeah, that's absolutely right. I mean, it's like, just like God says to Job, are you going to condemn me to justify yourself? And that's the modern man, right there. We condemn God as this unjust God to justify ourselves. So, uh, yeah, I think that's exactly right. Miller, hop in. Let me,
1: yeah, I just want to throw in a little. This is the the pastor side of me coming out, but uh, and I I think it's also partly because I can relate with this. You know, I I struggled a great deal with being able to trust God and His judgments because. Uh, of my own sense of what right and wrong is, which is really all we've got when it comes to, I mean, we've got the scriptures, but then what's, what's naturally um, what feels true, what feels right is, is always going to kind of like push itself to the surface. And you're always going to have this level of cognitive dissonance. If you don't deal with the fact that you actually feel uncomfortable with God's judgments when you see them and they don't look like justice. And so for the person who finds themselves in that position, I actually think Job was written for that person. Um, it's for the person going, I I can't understand God's judgments in this. I want my day in court with God. I feel like he's done me wrong. And I think Job is actually commended for being straightforward and honest with God, even though in, in the middle of Job, he accuses things of God that I actually don't think are true. Right. God didn't do X, Y, and Z that Job accuses him of. Um, Mm -hmm. but the beauty about that story is that Job had no fear in going to God with his accusations. Um, and that actually, I think the the beauty of that story is that God can take it. Now He'll put you in your place, because that's the best thing for us is to know rightly where we stand before God. We need to be put in our places, um, but at the same time, uh, even that is God's goodness when He when we bring these things that we're struggling with understanding um, to God, and we say, God, I don't I don't understand this. You're going to have to help me because it looks like you're doing this, and this feels wrong to me. Um, And it's in that place where God can actually meet us. And I think that's why Job is commended is because he was honest and straightforward. Whereas the other two guys that were his friends, I think they were dishonest. I think they couldn't point to any sin that Job actually had committed. uh, But they were so uncomfortable with the idea that Mm -hmm. a person who is righteous can suffer like Job did, because if it could happen to Job, then what does that mean about the two of them? The same thing could happen to them. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. And so they were being, they were lying to themselves. It was part of it is they weren't really walking in the light when walking in the light doesn't just mean, Walking from free from sin, it means walking with sin exposed, walking in complete honesty and vulnerability with how you really feel, even though you know truth may be different than how you may feel at that moment. So, yeah, round Ra- 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 sense.
0: I want I want to toss it back over to you because I think a theologically, you're making the theological case that where our heart is deceitfully wicked, and we have our heart has these instincts to go, why would God command killing children, or why would God kill all of these firstborn when when there was music playing in the background that was so epic. Why would he do that? No, I'm just kidding. Uh, uh, Ringtones and all that good stuff, guys. Okay, so why would God kill the death of the firstborn? This is Pharaoh's problem, right? Like Pharaoh did this. Why didn't God take it out on Pharaoh? And we have often these uh, instincts. So you answered the theological question of our heart is often um, wicked and we can't see things as God sees things. Um, but can you like touch on like that pastoral element that, that Michael was just talking about, that there's actually often a cognitive dissonance of, I know this to be true, but I don't feel it to be true right now. Can you maybe speak into that? Because we are going to talk about like the death of innocence, you know, when it comes to corporate judgments that God pours out, people seem to be innocent and yet God is doing this judgment. So can you maybe just speak to that pastoral element real quick?
2: Yeah, I, sure, and I, I might not understand it perfectly, but, so I'll start to respond, you guys can tell me, but I also want to address minor theological point here too. Um, the reason God went after Pharaoh's firstborn, I mean, one might want oh, sure. one might argue is, well, Pharaoh was the one who sinned, why didn't God go after Pharaoh? Uh, but there's actually this one-to-one connection. I think it's Exodus 4 where he says, basically, you want Israel is my firstborn son, and you wouldn't let them go. So I'm going after your firstborn son. So it's actually presented in Exodus as this just scales sort of punishment. But I do think that that actually sets us up for the pastoral conversation. Um, because for probably a lot of our viewers that or our listeners, that was maybe you didn't realize that. And that's the position that we find ourselves in is we don't see any sort of justice in any of these a, a or whenever we go through tremendous suffering it it feels completely mysterious and in some ways very unjust to us and i i think that there is this wrestling match that we should go through and and for me i think it's instructive that god names jake renames jacob israel which means basically wrestles with god and uh and that's really like the identity of the people of God as uh, wrestles with God. I mean, that's who we are, regardless of whether you're dispensational or other otherwise, or at least tied to Israel, right? Like that. This is this is just like the the way people are, and and, and it's good and right. And God is humble and patient with us as we wrestle with Him. And the Psalms really get into how you do that. And Miller, you talked a lot about just being honest with God. Uh, Guys, I can't tell you how many times I've told God that doesn't feel fair. I mean, I think the question, why, why have you forsaken me is it's an expression of, of profound personal anguish. And, uh, and I think it's actually good and right and appropriate to be able to go to God and to share our frustrations with him. And that's actually part of building the relationship with him. And so um, I think for me, it's important to just have a place in my theology for mystery. And I'm not always going to know the answers. And to know that there's a big difference between complaining about God or grumbling about him and complaining to him like they do in the Psalms. And uh, one is like, a, am handing you this complaint, please help me sort it out. And the other one is sort of a writing him off. And um, so I don't know if that Really adequately spoke. But I I think that those like blatant theological statements, where it's like sometimes God judges and sometimes he hands out sickness and death, it's like there's the statement. But now in personal application, let's wrestle with this reality. Um, I think another thing that this does raise is that is when we get sick, when we suffer, to what degree do we say, God, you did this to me versus the devil did this to me versus Mm. a fallen world did this to me. Um, Is there a a danger of sort of like over assigning um, like discipline to God? Like, is it what I mean by that? Is is there a danger in thinking everything we suffer is this one-to-one punishment for something that we did wrong? Uh, That I think is a pastoral question that we should also talk through.
0: Yeah, let me let me just quote a few scriptures and then I'll I'll toss it over to Miller to kind of talk about that, like how we should expect our response to sickness be just for those who right now are dealing with like chronic illness. um, And you're hearing, you know, you've heard people say that your sickness is a result of sin. There's quite a few passages in scripture that nowhere attribute sicknesses or barrenness to sin. Like in John 9, uh, 1 through 3, nowhere does it say that the man sinned or he sinned, and that's why he was blind. Mm-hmm. Um, in yep. Genesis 30, 1 through 2, Rachel was barren. In Genesis 16, 1 through 2, Sarah was barren. In 1 Samuel 1, 5 through 6, Hannah was barren. And nowhere in those texts does it say God was angry with these people because of their sin and made them barren. It just said God closed their womb or God fashioned them blind. There's a passage that we that we read in uh, Genesis, not Genesis, in Exodus, where uh, God says, you know, the Lord said to him, to Moses, who has made man's mouth? Who has made him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? So just on the front end, my answer is that God could be the cause of things and it not necessarily be sin, but in the same token, this kind of is the next question of Should we have an instinct that every sickness is sin? And I'll, I'll toss it over to Miller since I monologue there for a little bit.
1: Yeah, no worries. Uh, so I, I guess I'm, I'm wrestling with two things in my head. Uh, one is the idea that when we see it, should we assume that it's God? And then secondarily, just pastorally speaking, when we start talking about God casting people on a sick bed or causing like his judgments, causing people to be infirmed, um, I think there there are different ways that people pr- can present this and they can almost sort of fall guilty of being like Moses and striking the rock, so to speak, that God is angry in the midst of this, as opposed to, and, and capricious and arbitrarily capricious, which he's really not. I think the thing is when we present the idea that God is a judge and that he does have judgments, we also have to, in the same token, recognize that his judgments are right and they're good and that he's mm-hmm. just. And that he's more just than we are, um, and so I, I don't want those two things divorced from one another because otherwise y- you make it an image of God that's not really him either. Um, and so then, then let's go to the other part of it. Do we want to assume that it's always God whenever we're personally sick? So, and this this um, Michael Roundtree walked with, through this with me for a significant number of years. I was um, I had in, incurable infirmity called uh, uh, cluster migraines. And had those for a significant number of my uh, early years and from age around 18 till I was uh, in my early 30s. Um, And I would be debilitated three to four months out of the year. Like every day I would get a migraine and it would take me out. Sometimes I get two or three in a day. Sometimes I'd wake up in the middle of of the night, like 3 a.m., and I'd just be overwhelmed with a migraine. I'd get no sleep. And so I I was literally asking that question. Um, I would even have, I remember one time, uh, I think it was Steve Thompson, actually. He came to Wellspring uh, at that time and told him I needed prayer. And he looked at me and he said, yeah, it's the headaches that you get right here around your eye. And it sort of creeps down back into your neck and your shoulder. And I was like, that's exactly right. And then prayed for me and I didn't get healed. And so I was going through that back and forth. But the other thing that we also got to remember is that, While it says that God is the one who makes man blind, mute, deaf, uh, that you see in Exodus, you also see that some things that are causing blindness and muteness or deafness and muteness are also evil spirits. Um, And so uh, we shouldn't just rush to the conclusion that it's always God. If anything, I would say that the vast majority of instances we have of those things happening and then being healed are actually in Scripture are actually demonically induced or demonically caused. I say majority of those things. Um, And so I think we hold those things in tension, but also I find that usually if God is the one doing something to discipline us, he's also very clear about that. We're not usually left guessing when we have a, an attitude of repentance, usually we'll know why we're in that condition. If it's God doing that to us. Um, Would you guys agree with that?
2: Say that one more time.
1: That last bit about how yeah, usually if sentence. it's God, if it's God doing something to us, um, I don't think you know. Uh, by and large, I would say you would usually know that it's Him doing that to you. Um, like I think of Paul, my grace is sufficient for you, uh, when he's got the thorn in his flesh, um, and even even when certain things happen, at least in throughout Acts, like Ananias and Sapphira, or the Corinthian church, you know, some of you have fallen asleep, some of you died. Paul is at least telling them, "Here's why you're getting drunk off the Lord's supper." And for this reason, you know, judgment has come, kind of thing. Um, so you, usually, God's not leading us guessing whether or not He's involved in in uh, or or the um, uh, the one handing out judgment. Yeah, handing out judgment you usually know it's yeah. him.
2: I I would say yes. I mean, I think, I mean, there are some things that would be obvious, like the Ananias and Sapphira situation, um, or you know, like let's say somebody sleeps with somebody and they get an STD, it's obvious that there is like a one-to-one connection there. Um, or the Lord directly communicates it like he did with Paul in 2nd Corinthians 12 and the thorn in the flesh. And uh, and that one was more preventative in nature to keep me from becoming conceited by the surpassingly great revelation. There was given me a thorn in my flesh. And so I I think I would agree with you that like if you just have this sickness and you've sought the Lord, I mean I do think that it is a good and holy thing to ask the Lord, Lord, is this because of some kind of sin in my life? And I I would say that if you're asking that and you don't hear anything, or certainly if you hear that it's not like, then go with that. I mean, but I, so I I think that the Lord would really, like, if you're asking him, I believe he would make it clear to you if, if it was this direct, um, say discipline from him, if that makes sense. Yeah. I mean, uh, Josh, do you agree with that? Well, none of us, even the Pharisees,
0: the Philistines even understood that that the judgment that came upon them was because of the Ark of the Covenant. Like people who had no relationship with God or the God of Israel, for that matter, they steal the Ark of the Covenant and they start having tumors growing on their body. It's like they understood, oh, we've got to repent. We've got to bring restitution. We've got to. So they they just arbitrarily. God didn't tell them to do it. They just arbitrarily were like, "We've got to make this right." So they started make, casting things out of gold, yeah. giving it to the Israel God, giving the Ark of the Covenant back to the children of Israel. They realized God is doing this. Complete pagans realized that the judgment of God had come to their door, and they needed to repent. Um, right? And also, so I would, I think, I'd say, yeah, probably.
1: This is this is may not be the most scriptural way of approaching this, but I I would think of just the way I discipline my kids. Um, if my son is being disciplined by me, he's not going to be left guessing as to why. Yeah. You know, part of being a good father is I'm showing my son the discipline and how that fits with the action or sin he's committed. And in the same mm-hmm. way, God is a good father. So um, I, I can, and, and we're told to call him Abba, Father. That's how we're told to pray. And so on some level, we're going to relate to him that way. And in the same way, like, I hope he disciplines us like a good father.
2: Yeah. He's letting I think us that's know reasonable. Our I think that's a reasonable extrapolation. Now, Hebrews 12, it does say endure all hardship as discipline. But I don't think that means there's always a one-to-one relationship between like, you did this bad thing, therefore I'm meeting out this discipline. Um, I I think because he says endure all hardship this way including like, so take the blind guy in John chapter nine. He went through this and it was because of no sin in his life, but it was still something that he could endure as discipline. And in context in Hebrews, Hebrews and just the view of suffering, think of Hebrews chapter five, where it says, uh, that Jesus uh, learned obedience through the things that he suffered, which, by the way, is a good uh, a good proof text for the humanity of Jesus. The omniscient one, and according to his deity, actually learned things. How? through suffering. And so that doesn't mean he went from unholy to holy, but that it means that as he grew in wisdom and stature and favor with God and man, that it's it's like the as the temptations matured. got harder, he was stronger and stronger and stronger, so to speak, at least according to his humanity. And so, uh, but the point is, it's like Jesus... It's like he drank deep of every sorrow and every grief and every lesson of suffering to learn everything to grow in his character as much as possible. And that's what it means to endure all hardship is discipline. I always ask the Lord, Lord, what can I learn from this? Like, what are you showing me? But that doesn't mean that he meted out the discipline in order to like in the precise way that I do as a father like as a one to one like you hit your brother in the face so now you go to your room or something like that like it's not always a one to one he says all hardship in in context of the book of hebrews he's talking about including the son of god's suffering so um Anyway, so Miller, that was kind of a long-winded way of so, saying, I, no, I think no, no, your father good. point
0: makes sense. Let me respond to that, Michael, because a lot yeah. of this, the the verses that we've brought up, like Ananias and Sapphira, they committed an act of sin, boom, judgment came as a response to it. Paul had mm-hmm. pride in his heart, boom, judgment or discipline, however we wanted to find that because it wasn't, it wasn't permanent. You might could say it's discipline, like God was training him, teaching him, getting pride out of his heart, however you want to you know, phrase it. Uh-huh. There's some kind of judgment or discipline that takes place there. But what about, again, the John 9 guy seems different. The John 9 guy, nothing had happened to this guy. Like he hadn't sinned, his uh-huh. family hadn't sinned, but God seemed to purpose. God. Or maybe even yeah. Moses, the, the account that we have in Exodus that I read earlier, some, they're born this way blind. They're born this way mute. They're born this way. Um, and, and it seems as if God had his hand in the midst of that. Do you take those passages to say he you know, um, he ordained it and orchestrated it like he orchestrates and ordains all things. Or are you saying that, that this is purposed for their development as an individual? Like, cause I think I would imagine that someone who's born with a chronic illness would have a harder time detecting that this was an active God. Right. I would think more likely it would be like, well, I was born this way cause I live in a fallen world. Um, opposed to the other person who steals the ark of the covenant and suddenly tumors grow on their body they go oh this is the judgment of god this seems obvious like that other that that first example of the person born into an infirmity it's kind of hard to know if that was had intentionally the lord's hand was on that um how would you how would you mark those um the john 9 versus paul's thorn in the flesh
1: i um, i would comment on john 9 a little bit because you don't, okay, you don't think John
0: nine—that that, that's the only way to translate that.
1: No, in fact, I think John nine is not so much an example of something God did to somebody. Uh, I think it's an example of living in a fallen world and a person receiving healing from the Lord. That's how he felt about that person being blind, because it says um, some people, some translations will render it, "This happened so that the glory of God might be displayed." But that same Greek word can be rendered. Um, it was neither this man who sinned nor his parents, but let the work of God be displayed. And that but let changes everything. I mean, it, it says, here's the nature of the world, and yet let me show you the glory of God. Mm. Whereas the other one sort of says, I made him blind so that I could later on show my glory. And yeah. I mean, in both can, cases, we would have to be okay. It's God, right? But I yeah, just don't well, think that's I mean, I can
2: in the same case. breath attribute something to. This is just part of living in a fallen world. And this falls under the sovereignty and providence of God. And for me, there's no contradiction in terms. Uh, Like, I mean, here's the Westminster Confession. Uh, God is the primary and ultimate cause of all things. But this statement, according to the Confession Summary of the Bible, does not negate the laws of nature or the free actions of humans. In the mystery of God's providence, God uses ordinary and regular means to bring about his sovereign purposes. So wicked and evil men crucify Jesus. They do it on a court, accordance of their own wickedness of heart and their own choices. And yet God was somehow over it all without staining his own hands. Uh, Joseph's brothers sell him into slavery. And yet Joseph says in Genesis 45, it wasn't you who sent me. It was God who sent me beforehand for the preserving of many lives. So God was did not stain his hands but he somehow used these, we would in theology call this secondary causes, their, their free choices in order to bring about his sovereign will, which was the saving of many lives. So I, I don't know. I, I'm a compatibilist. And, uh, and so I see <laughs> man has free choices and there's a fallen world and there are all these crazy, terrible, sad realities of that fallen world. And God is still over it all, because as far as I'm concerned, the uh, the only alternative to that is God's not actually sovereign overall and God's saying, Oh no, how did that happen to
0: you? Sure, we agree that <laughs> that's mean, horribly that's a, unbiblical. That
2: is uh, probably a straw man caricature, but I'm I'm just kinda I'm just speaking off the cuff here. I'm not trying to malign no, you. No, 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 no. And
0: that's that's fair. So if you're if you're out there, you're born with a sickness, you don't know that it is explicitly god's judgment you know it's not god's judgment because of some sin because ha- you're born that way right like it wasn't your parents it wasn't you you're looking at your life you're like why do i have this sickness if you stumble upon the passage in exodus where god makes man deaf and blind or where in john 9 it says that you know if you render that translation in order that the glory of god might be manifested like god formed and fashioned these people this way uh, and you're in that position you could take the idea that well sovereignty god's in control of everything and i was born deaf and blind or you know you if you're deaf you're probably not listening to this program but you know what i'm saying right like uh, uh if you have an infirmity what my dad has got two co-killers. i can i can i can talk deaf stuff okay um uh anyway so uh uh yeah so that whole if, if you're you're born into that state you can say in some in, in, the, in the fact that we know that god is sovereign we trust him for being good that he caused this about in that sense, yeah. but not in well, the same kind of active sense that he brings judgment on an individual for their sin.
2: Yeah. I mean, so like there's say the judgments over Egypt and the judgments in Revelation and, the, and so on. I, it, I would put in a different category from the person who happened to be born deaf. I mean, so that's just, those, those are, those are primary scenarios. causes. Yes. But I, I still is like secondary. even... Even to look at the Old Testament statements when it's like, you know, the Lord made this person deaf or the Lord made this person mute or whatever it is, um, the Old Testament can sort of gloss over primary secondary causes without like just super clearly defining it. So like here's a cl- case in point. So uh, and by by primary cause i I'm, I'm or ultimate cause, I'm talking about God is ultimately behind and above and over all things. Okay. And secondary causes being like the natural laws and the, you know, and people's choices and, and so on. So, um, first Chronicles 21 versus second Samuel 24. One says God incited David to take a census. One says the devil incited Satan or incited David to take a census. Okay. And it was a bad thing for David to take a census. He wasn't trusting God, uh, for his people. He had to like, you know, figure out how strong his army was. So um, so both of those can be true. God is over it all, even though the devil has the active hand in temptation. And I, and I think the same thing can happen in the way the Bible, like, could it be possible that like, yes, the Lord makes one blind or the Lord makes one deaf, but there might be other causes. There could be something genetic and there could be the devil coming in and bringing harm and the Lord is over it all. And he allowed this to happen. And in that sense is the ultimate cause. I think there's just, there's just such complicated nuances with this. Um So I, I don't know. I, I think it's important to throw that extra shade of nuance in there. Yeah. What do you guys think of that?
0: Yeah, I would say I would say that that's helpful. That we don't we don't have to create we don't have to look at every Bible verse and try to dissect it. If this is a first or secondary cause in understanding God's sovereignty, whether you're an Armenian or in a Calvinist, we believe that God is sovereign. God is in control. All that being said, even when we think about these terms, it's important for the person who's dealing with chronic sickness who's listening to us because man, this kind of sounds insensitive. Like you're not dealing with an illness or a sickness like I am, and you're just kind of saying, "Oh, this is God's will." I just want to remind that person that like this life is such a vapor right? A trillion years from now, you're not going to remember being deaf. You're not going to remember being blind. You're not going to remember having a disease, a a crippling sickness or illness. And if it would be God's prerogative to, you know, strike me with a sickness in order that, you know, like a barren womb, for example, like think about um, uh, Samuel's mom, right? She cries out, she prays, and God responds and sets up a prophet in Israel. And it's like, would she have had that kind of unction to seek the Lord? And promise to set her, so- her son aside as a prophet had the Lord not made her barren. So it was God making her barren that caused her to pray, and it was in her causing her to pray that she committed her son to the Lord. God gave her a son that was a prophet, almost like none other prophet in all of the history of Israel. Like if God closed her womb and he was able to bring that about, the pain and suffering that she endured in that moment was for a great end. And if we were counted worthy to suffer for God's sake, and we were faithful in our suffering, no matter how it appears, we can have faith and believe that God will use it for good. And I think that for the person who's dealing with us, he might be hearing us sound maybe insensitive in some way or the other, just remember that our trust is not in a God who always heals, but a God who's always in control. Um, and that's a good God who brings things about for his own will. I see Miller raising yeah, his hand like he's in elementary school, but he's trying to get my attention. Yeah. Well, I have
1: to, I have to leave after this comment because I got to get on a plane. But um, so I mentioned earlier having the migraines and I've talked about this in the past in the podcast, but I think it's important to know that in the midst of all of this, I was begging God to heal me Um, because again, it was debilitating. I, I mean, excruciating pain is the best way I can describe it. I actually would use the word excruciating for the pain I would feel when I would get these migraines. But I also in the midst of having these migraines, came to terms with the idea that maybe God is good regardless of this pain. And if life is temporary in the sense that it won't always be this way, then I can endure it. And the big thing is, and this is the, the thing about pain in a general sense, most of us can endure pain if we know that there's an end in sight. And in my case, I knew that there was an end in sight called the resurrection. And so one of the beauties of what God did in this process for me was he allowed me to to come to terms, the idea I may have this pain the rest of my life. I may not, I don't know, but I know that I can endure it. And at the end of the day, God is good. Um, now here's the beauty of it as well. I got healed. The Lord healed me when I was probably around, I think I was 27 or 28 years old. Uh, no, no, maybe I was a little bit older than that. It went away significantly. I started getting them only once a year instead of every three months. And then it went away for good at some point in time. And I remember that day. Um, but I also, I got to know a lot of things about God in that place. One, I, I learned to have compassion for those who are real pain. Uh, and I mean, real compassion. It's something I, I prayed for that God would let me have compassion for the sick so that I could uh, heal like the Lord healed, that he would use me as an instrument for his healing mercy. Um, and so there's a reason why I'm quick to pray for people and will spend time in that way, because I know what the pain feels like. Not necessarily their pain, but I know what having excruciating pain feels like. And so awesome. I, I've seen God use it. Now, whether he's the cause of it or not, at the end of the day, I don't know. And I don't really care because I know he's good. That's, that's the yeah. beauty of it.
2: Amen. Yeah. Uh, whether he's that's, the cause or not, he's good. That's good. I think, yeah, totally. And, you know, I've talked a little bit about my wife's suffering and, uh, and it has been hard and I prayed for, for 10 years before I saw one of her three, uh, major health issues healed after 10 years. Uh, but she still struggles with a couple of others, and uh, and so we are talking as those who've wrestled through these kinds of things, and uh, certainly with with compassion. And our encouragement to you is to just bring it before God and to and to wrestle with Him and and take the Psalms as your uh, as your guide of how to deal with that pain and frustration. Wrestle with God, and I think that's a good thing. But uh, definitely, do feel compassion for those uh, who are suffering and Miller, I, I would actually ask, uh, since you've been healed of those cluster migraines, what would he you think of it out? He, ah, he hopped okay. Off. Well, let's, we could pray anyway. We'll just pray ourselves. Um, but just for people to be healed, uh, of cluster migraines, but, uh, Josh, we should probably end the show here pretty soon. It'll be a little shorter show for us this time. Uh, but there's so much more that we need to discuss. We need to talk about, uh, Josh, I would say, I uh, mean, we have notes here about nations being judged corporately due to corporate sin, uh, there's more we could say. Those like Those who it,
0: are innocent being given sickness right. because of someone else's sin.
2: That's right. And man, I just, I think there's more on this ordaining of illness and, and just what this even means and how we make sense of it. Because uh, because the flip side is, well, on, on one hand, we wrestle with a God who allows suffering. We also wrestle with a New Testament text where Jesus is healing so many people. And I, I'd like to bring a little greater clarity to that so i just want to encourage you guys tune in next week and on wednesday we'll uh we'll follow up with some important conversation around this
0: yeah can i pray yeah. for everybody yeah do yeah. it yeah so father uh, we ask for people who are watching who who have sicknesses illnesses diseases specifically cluster migraines um and other issues or um we just ask that you would send forth your word to heal them right where they are or that you would give healing mercy to heal your people um we believe that it's your your heart. We believe that it's your, uh, what you've accomplished on the cross to heal the sick. Mm-hmm. Uh, we believe it's in the atonement. And, and we ask that, that we would have a taste of that age to come now. Um, we've seen it happen before. Uh, we'd ask that you do it again. Um, we ask that we would be partakers of this age to come, this, this beautiful gift that you've given us, uh, in the crucifixion, yeah, the healing that you've purchased on our behalf. Uh, so Lord, I just ask that people who are watching that have headaches right now, that, that wrestling with migraines right now, uh, that Lord, that you just send forth your word to heal them right where they sit, um, that uh, all the pain, the tension uh, that they have in, in their head and their shoulders and their neck, Lord, it would be relieved, it'd be subside, the, the auras that affect their vision, uh, Lord, that those things would 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 go away uh, and that you would restore their mind, the restore uh, their body in such a way that would cause these to go away, Um Lord, for for people that have um, oh uh, dizziness and uh, the, that's caused by this, people who have a hard time sleeping, people who have a hard time getting their work done. Lord, that you would help them get focused and and, uh, and and be edified by the body of Christ, and that would glorify you. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.
2: Amen. Hey, I'm gonna say this just because it's Christmas season. And although you guys might be watching this and it's not Christmas season for you, if you're watching this six months from now, but, uh, I'm just going to say it anyway, because we think about this in the context of incarnation and Jesus taking on a human body and being a man of sorrows and so on, uh, and going to the cross, uh, which is of course what Christmas ultimately led to was the cross and, um, and, I, I think one thing that I just remind myself of sometimes is that when I experience suffering, suffering myself, the temptation, the, the human temptation when we experience suffering is to think God is bad because he allowed this. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and the gospel challenge to every believer in Christ is to not assess God's goodness by the measure of our suffering, but by the measure of his suffering. Yeah. And to look to Jesus on the cross and say, that's a good God. God demonstrates his love toward us. And then while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So when you feel that temptation of looking to your temptation or your suffering to make an evaluation about God's goodness, you no, know, look to his suffering to have an evaluation of God's goodness. And, and we, so we have a God who actually came, took on humanity and suffered on our behalf. We may not have this crystal clear, perfect explanation for our pain but we do have something better than an explanation the son of god given for us on the cross so she's you guys. i a mic that i could that. just drop <laughs> uh yeah so i uh, just wanted to say that there it is you just I, literally I you it, oh it's that's <laughs> expensive
0: mic yeah <laughs> <laughs>
2: Uh, okay, guys, thanks so much for joining us. And uh, as Josh said, at the top of the show, we're crowdfunded. Consider making a donation either one time through PayPal or a recurring donation through Patreon. And uh, make sure you hit that like uh, button, that subscribe button, make a few comments and share this video around. And we want to get the message out there. And we're going to follow up uh, with just some important conclusions on this conversation next week. So you definitely want to check that out on Wednesday. God bless you guys. And don't forget, as Josh reminds me, the Remnant 2023 Healing and Deliverance Conference, March uh, 2nd through the 4th. It's going to be awesome. So uh, check it out, man, those those seats are flying out fast. We had to get a bigger venue already. And, um, and so... Make sure you book those tickets. God bless you guys and have a great week